everybody, Justin Jackson here. Uh, this was a Twitter Spaces conversation that I recorded between myself, Tyler Tringus, and then Josh Pigford later joined us. Um, and I'm not even sure who's paying attention to this feed these days, but I thought I would put it out there. Uh, one thing is Josh's audio sounds kind right. of like this. So I, I begrudgingly started another company. I had a... <laughs> And so what I've done is I've, <laughs> this might sound really bad, but I've, I've created like a, an AI generated voice for Josh. There are lots of people you need to know in order to get your foot in the door. Just so his words can be clear and uh, might be a little bit uh, out of sorts, but it was the only way I could make his audio really clear for everybody. Let me know what you think. And uh, also let me know if you think this is worth publishing on the Build Your SaaS feed, which definitely uh, has more listeners. Uh, maybe I, I could shorten it up. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter on the letter M, the letter I, Justin, M-I, Justin. Here we go. But the reason uh, Tyler's kind of the guy I go to when I, <laughs> when I have... Uh, not just questions, but sometimes uh, maybe a cynical take, or I can I can I can sense myself descending into cynicism about certain things, and uh, I, I find that Tyler's perspective is refreshing and often makes me think um, maybe outside of the way I would normally think. So, uh, well, since, since, since we're flattering each other, I would say that, um, I really like the, the you know, sort of random spurts of DMS <laughs> and stuff that I'll get from you on topics, because I think like you are really interesting, uh, interlocutor for this kind of stuff, because you have a ton of knowledge on the space, but you also kind of like have uh, thoughts or questions or, you know, feelings about some of this stuff that a mm -hmm. lot of other people share. Uh, and and also yeah. may not be sort of empowered or or feel comfortable asking, um, and so it's it's always good. Yeah, yeah, and I mean um, this space is definitely heating up. I was actually looking into Republic. If you if you go back into the uh, the transistor story, there was definitely a time when we were bootstrapping when I was feeling the financial pinch mm. of the. Uh, not quite there, but almost, you know, there's that gap between you're making two or three grand a month in recurring revenue <laughs> and your wife and kids are looking at you like, uh, dad, when are you, we can have money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and during that time, you know, uh, I think this is pretty evident. If you listen to our podcast, you can hear me thrashing. And one of the things I brought up to John, my co-founder, is Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe we should do a, a crowdfunding run uh, round on Republic. So this was two years ago, and I remember tweeting about it, and most people just weren't talking about it, didn't seem interested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, most, if you looked on Republic at the time, most of their crowdfunding rounds seemed to top out, top out at about 200, 300, 500 grand. And, um, yeah, yeah it, it just wasn't going anywhere. And fast forward now, um, 
you know, the, the it feels like what broke this open was Gumroad's crowdfunding round uh, and the the government raising the limit to five million. And I just I did have some conflicting feelings uh, as I was watching this because uh, and and full transparency, I I put a hundred dollars into the Gumroad uh, crowdfunding thing, and I put five hundred dollars in to the Backstage Capital crowdfund. Uh huh. And uh, the hundred dollars was let's just you know let's just see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that day, while I'm watching the stream of tweets of people funding Gumroad, I was. I was just like, do what are we really getting for this? And is this, uh, I think my deeper concern is that, is this just a way of kind of placating the, the masses of people who couldn't kind of get uh, serious equity positions in companies? And now we have this thing, which is crowdfunding, mm-hmm. which maybe gives them the false sense that they're actually getting a serious piece of the company or, you know, in the same way they might buy stock in Apple or Tesla, uh, are, are they feeling like they're actually getting something uh, that they're not? Hmm. And what are the chances of any sort of considerable return on investment for um, when investing in these, uh, these crowdfunding campaigns? Yeah. So that's kind of my background. Maybe to start, what's kind of what are some of your feelings or thoughts around that? Well, so so one thing, I mean, you touched on or you sort of um, you know, took a crack at like, you know, why now and said, "Okay, well, Gumroad has sort mm-hmm. of broken the seal." I think it's a little bit broader than that in that um the the proposition of doing a crowdfunding campaign, I think was just pretty challenging until very recently and i definitely think you got a good amount of like adverse selection right so it was just much 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 more attractive appealing less expensive less of a hassle you could raise more money to just go talk to private investors and so you know a a lot of what you would get in crowdfunding equity crowdfunding platforms was folks who had already done that whole gamut and were sort of unsuccessful with it um Mm -hmm. and then and then decided okay well maybe this is our last resort um, the rule changes have really made it not that effect at this point uh, in the sense mm-hmm. that you can raise up to $5 million, um, you know, which is meaningful when you factor in there's quite a bit of fixed overhead costs in terms of we like we have to go through a full audit, like all this kind of stuff. It's just maybe not worth it if you're going to raise a million dollars or less. Um, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, up to five, is it's like a lot more attractive proposition. And also you can do this thing, which is called, which is what we're doing, which is called testing the waters, which is you can run a campaign. It used to be set up like an IPO. Like you literally had to be completely mum about the idea that you were going to do a crowdfunding campaign until the moment it was live. And you'd already set up like all those costs I was talking about. You had to pay all those upfront and everything um, before you could even, you know, uh, get started before you could tell anybody about it. And so you had this really high Mm -hmm. risk of failure, right? That you didn't know if it was going to work or not. So between those different changes, it's become a lot more attractive product kind of overnight, basically. And so for us, it was like, you know, we hadn't like seriously looked at it for those reasons. And then with these changes, it's like, oh, no, this makes sense for us now. Let's do it. So I think that's part of why you're seeing this like unlock. It's not 
It's that, I mean, definitely Saho and Gumroad and Backstage were a big part of it, two big popular ones on the first day of the changes. But I don't think it's 100% just like a bunch of people kind of, you know, piling in to that idea right after them. Um, yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe we should bring Pigford in in a second. Beauty. Okay, so Josh, Pigford, you've got feelings on this. And by the way, you just you just launched some sort of funding. I, I didn't even like I knew you were kind of working on a new project, but all of a sudden it was like you're raising money. <laughs> so maybe as some background, can you tell the folks what the heck you're doing? Like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Right. So I I begrudgingly started a project. Okay. I had, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had no intention. That's right, that's right. And so what about crowdfunding? <laughs> so crowdfunding. So crowdfunding. The reason that crowdfunding becomes interesting is, to me, traditional fundraising is a lot more like other financial markets. It's difficult to know how it works. There are a lot of private conversations. There are lots of people you need to know in order to get your foot in the door. Most people don't get in the door at all. Crowdfunding, to me, is like the democratization of financial markets. Yeah. So let me let me break in here because I can see why crowdfunding is attractive for founders, especially founders who have an audience or a following or um, you know any sort of influence in a space. Uh, in the same way that you know the in the NFT market, the spoils have uh, gone predominantly to people who already had uh, an audience. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm still concerned about the investor side of this, which is that these are mostly structured as safes, which I think the history is that, that was, that's uh, something that YC came up with. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you get a kind of a promissory, promissory note that if there's a liquidity event, if this company sells raises a bunch more money in a traditional round or goes public, then um, you, you have the, the, your, your promissory note kind of converts to equity at that point. Yep. Am I correct on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And, yep. and the, the struggle I'm having is it just feels like, especially in this new, whatever we want to call this, indie maker economy, creator economy, bootstrapper economy, uh, you know, the, like Gum, let's just say Gumroad, Gumroad, the chances of Gumroad having a liquidity event just seem low. Like, what, it's, it's <laughs> crazy profitable. I don't know about that. Think about this, Justin. Are you going to be running Transistor when you are 80 years old? I mean, I no, often sure I can see why it's attractive for me, but why, why yeah. would someone want to buy a safe in transistor right now? Because you will have a liquidity event sometime in your future. There are very few companies that last forever. At some point, there will be a new valuation placed on that investment. And people are taking that bet that in the future it will be worth more than what they invested. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people that would like there's there's some people that that would like to take that uh, bet right now. Like, when is Justin gonna die? 
when when is he gonna be off twitter let's let's uh let's make some bets on that justin let me let me add something here which is i think helpful which is i think um so i think at least one of your concerns or your concern about a safe is not super related to crowdfunding except that for sort of simplicity's sake the vast majority of the reg cf financings are done on a safe which you, you accurately described but also gazillions of other early stage financing i would say probably the majority at this point of you know under a million or two million dollar rounds are done on a safe just because they're very quick and easy you don't have to like actually exchange the shares and all that sort of stuff and i think what maybe you might be over indexing on is something that i know a lot about which is in this world of folks building you know very profit focused not intending to necessarily raise round after round and exit as soon as possible you know all that that like that whole universe of entrepreneurs the safe is not super aligned with them right um it's much more aligned with the traditional venture model which is of course why we created our own structure right the share earnings agreement for like exactly these concerns that you're laying out um mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, that's more of an optimization, right? It's just like that gets us closer to alignment. Still, the vast majority of companies out there, you know, the upside is all in the possibility that they have some sort of liquidity event, that they eventually get acquired or they go public or they sell a majority stake or something like that. So, you know, I don't think as an individual investor, you're giving up all that much um, because literally there's like, you know, us and a handful of other folks who are out there optimizing for you know, I want to invest in you and then I want a share of your profits, right? <laughs> Most of the investing world doesn't work that way. Um, and so that, you know, the reg CF stuff is just kind of like leaning into the dominant way that folks do investing anyway. Although like we're talking to WeFunder about being able to have like a reg CF compatible seal as well, right? So we may see that, but, you know, the risk of mm -hmm. liquidity is like baked in to the fact that it's a risky bet to make an early stage investment in one company. Um, and like there is a chance, <laughs> there's, a, there's a big chance it's just not successful, right? But there's also a chance it's mm -hmm. successful, but like takes 45 years to get to liquidity, which is just kind of baked into the whole risk of making an early stage investment. But I think it's not like, it's not a huge area of concern. Like if you think the company is going to be successful and valuable, you know, sometimes you can even do a secondary. I, I'm not sure you can do that with Reg CF yet, but like, if you're 15 years in and you're like, okay, I'm done, <laughs> you know, my investment is worth 20 times more than it was, but they're never going to sell. You might be able to sell that to a new person who's happy to take the next, you know, 10 year bet. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah. Actually, can, and can I break in now? Remember, I'm just a, I'm a dumb jackass. I don't actually don't know how <laughs> any of this works. And so you might have to help me uh, like massage this out of me. But one of my concerns is about, uh, information inequality and also just opportunity inequality hmm. and so like again let's just use gumroad so this, they're giving up six percent of ownership as a part of the financing event and the investors will only receive equity stake once the safe note turns into a round right so so for me someone like me who's like not great at math and not even really good at understanding financial instruments already i just have like concerns like so they're giving up six percent ownership that obviously means something mm. um but how significant is that uh especially with like is that does that six percent ownership that they're giving up include the one million that naval and 
Jason Freed put in? Um, and did Naval and Jason Freed invest on the same terms as everybody else in the crowdfunding campaign? There's like this, yeah. uh, uh, it, it, some of that is kind of uh, hard to discern. And I mean, if Jason and Naval invested on the same terms, that would be fine, I guess. But if they're investing and they get real equity, like they, they actually get the stock right now, that's certainly more powerful, at least in my view, than some sort of promissory note for the future. Um, I, and so I'm, I'm yeah. worried about some of those issues. And there's all, again, there's also just, uh, it all depends on what people think they're getting. Yeah. Like if, if people have this feeling like, oh, Gumroad's going to the moon and they're going to, you know, this is like my chance to get a piece of it. But is there other risks that aren't uh, visible right now? Like, is it possible that uh, these safes can be diluted or like, what are all the other things associated with this way of raising money that I'm not seeing? I mean, I think we should talk about this in a second, but like, uh, I think the biggest risk is really more just around the valuation, right? It's, it's that, you know, you are just sort of letting the crowd determine the valuation. And so while maybe it's a good bet, if you pay way too much for it in terms of getting too small of a slice for your, for your dollar, you know, maybe the company does well, but you don't as an investor. So I think we should probably talk about that in a second, but I mean, I think, okay. the, I think the structure stuff is not a super big concern, to be honest. I, I mean, I think you might be overweighting the difference between a safe and an actual converted equity. Like, you know, for the most part, like you kind of run a simulation, right. Of the, investing in the same company hundred times and in one you're a safe and in one you get you know common equity kind of works mm -hmm. out pretty similarly it, like you know you're probably not going to have access to profits anyway like if you're investing in equity you're probably investing in preferred equity which doesn't get a share of the profits anyway unless they have a special right to it so like pretty much it's just like does this you know i own x percent of the company right and at the valuation i invested and in, you know like, do they either raise more money or exit? And and those are the main dynamics that affect it. And I don't think there's a big difference between whether it was a a safe or, um, you know, other structures, to be honest. Mm -hmm. My guess is part of your issue with crowdfunding is that it makes it easier to throw your money at something. Yeah, I mean, the, the cynical yeah. take on the cynical take on especially the Gumroad round is you know that it really feels like a donation mm -hmm. more than anything else uh because they i mean part of that's because of gumroad's history <laughs> uh, and i don't think it's overly cynical to to say that you know like there there he raised a bunch of money and then you know the money all got given back to investors or got written off or whatever and then he made it wildly profitable and now he's running it with a really small team, and it's like, okay, I, what what is this money for? <laughs> and and but the reality with crowdfunding is different. It makes me think of something like fractional share trading with stocks. Yeah. To me, fractional share trading is a net positive because it lets someone like me put in a few hundred dollars a month and experiment with investing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So crowdfunding allows people to dabble in investing without risking $100,000 or $10,000 or whatever. 
it allows them to actively learn how to invest in startups. Yeah, so I have actually two kind of follow-up questions to that. One is that, you know, if we're dabbling in the stock market, and now we've seen over the pandemic, millions of new investors come online with Robinhood and in Canada, Wealth Simple Trade. And one difference is I can buy, you know, I bought a Apple stock at $150 or something when they split. Um, so that's allowing me to buy real equity in a real company. The difference is that I can actually sell that right away, mm -hmm. either at a profit or a loss, and a safe can't be resold. Um, and so there is a currently. little bit of... <laughs> cur currently, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, yes, that's true. On the liquidity side, your money is tied up. On the other hand, if you can't afford to have $100 tied up, you probably shouldn't be investing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think the, but the, there's also this question about upside. And so that's my second question is that with YC, so they invented the safe. Um, and that model to me is super attractive because YC has an active interest in the development of these companies. They're mentoring these people, they're connecting them to them, uh, them to other people. And I'm assuming their safes are, you know, there's a considerably higher investment. I don't know, how much do they invest in companies these days? Like 150,000, I think, something like that. Yeah, so you get 150,000 for how much, what percentage of the company? I think it's like seven, seven and a half percent, maybe. So they get the full seven and a half percent. They have an active interest in the development of the company. Um, you've got, you know, all these smart people and mentors trying to make these winners. Mm -hmm. And uh, that seems different. There seems to be uh, an asymmetry uh, between that situation and a bunch of individuals carving up a fractional piece of 6% um, where we really don't have any say. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what are the, the, the other challenge with this is none of us, at least I don't think any of us, have had a payout from, uh, you know, a crowdfunding uh, investment. Uh, I actually, I was wrong about that. I also invested in re, uh, Radio Public's crowdfunding campaign back in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if they've, I think parts of them were acquired, but I haven't got I a notice that saying. Was, was that an equity crowdfunding though? Aren't they a nonprofit? Uh, anyway, it, was on, it was on Republic. I don't know if it was a safe, but anyway. So what do you think yeah. about that part about, you know, you've got this instrument that was invest, invested, uh, invented by YC, but that situation's a lot different than a bunch of individuals investing these tiny amounts um, in a gum road or, or whoever. Yeah, I think that um, I'll just say one thing, which sort of we, we DM'd about a little bit, but like, it's pretty clear that you know, there's multiple sort of jobs to be done baked into the idea of putting, you know, hundreds of dollars into a crowdfunding campaign, um, which is also true of like crypto and fractional share trading and stuff like that. Like on the one hand, you're trying to say, okay, I'm investing money. And so I'm trying to be a smart investor and make sure that I'm, you know, making good investments that are going to 
either you know exceed or diversify the returns from my you know boring portfolio of stocks and bonds and stuff like that and so that's like mm -hmm. one element the second one is this whole bundle of like i want to put money in because i want to see this thing succeed and i think that mm -hmm. you know in aggregate my $500 multiplied across, you know, millions is going to make this thing more likely to succeed. And also I want to be along for the ride and learn from it and stuff like that, that has very little to do with, do I necessarily think this is going to beat the S&P 500, you know, over the next 10 years. And mm -hmm. I think what you're seeing is, especially because, you know, I mean, on these crowdfunding campaigns, like the one we have right now, we have po folks putting in a hundred dollars and I have folks DMing me saying they want to put in a hundred thousand dollars into the same round. <laughs> right. And it's like definitely a different mix of those different jobs to be done for those different investors who are actually clicking the same buttons and investing in the same campaign. So, so I think it's just like that for me was a little weird to get my head around, but I, I think you just have to get comfortable with it in the same way that like, People buy Tesla stock in part because they just, you know, love Elon and think the cars are rad and don't necessarily think it's going to be the best investment per se or or it's a mix of those things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and actually, maybe let's just pause here. That's a fast like I, w I really want to dig into this, like these emotional jobs to be done because that's fascinating. Uh, but maybe could you explain with Ernest, like what's the difference between uh, your old uh, way of investing. Like if I was an LP and I did whatever it was, like $5,000 a quarter or whatever, am I getting the same terms as this crowdfunding campaign or was the old way better or worse or equal? Like how, how do they kind of uh, compare? So, so first I'll say we're very different. So most of the time there is going to be no difference between private investing and, and crowdfunding investing. Um, so, so do your earlier point about like, you know, Gumroad had the CF campaign and then they had a private round with like Jason Fried and Naval and other people. Mm -hmm. I, I have a very high degree of confidence that those were functionally the same rounds. It's just, you know, there's kind of extra fees for doing it on crowdfunding. So if you can raise an extra million or two off of that platform and then only get the smaller folks in, um, you're just, it's just a way of, you know, paying less fees in total, but it's usually the same for us. It is actually totally different. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not even that there was an old way and a new way. Um, basically the, we're still doing the same way. We're still raising LP capital from only accredited investors for funds. Like our fund three opens in July and people are already committing to invest in it. Um, you know, now, right. So that, mm -hmm. that still persists. And then what we're doing is very similar to what backstage did, which is, you're basically selling, I'm basically selling a slice of my equity in earnest capital, which is not tied to any one fund. It's tied to the totality of the funds and how well they perform, right? Mm. So like, uh, you know, we raise a million dollars, we go invest in companies, those companies start to send money back to us. The way most funds work is once we return a million dollars to the LP investors, we keep, we as in like the, earn the owners of earnest capital, uh, which is predominantly me, um, keep 20% of all those profits, right? That's called yeah. carry. And what we're selling is a slice of that. So currently like our earliest investors and our team already get a slice of this. It's just kind of like our version of, of employee options. And mm -hmm. now we're selling a separate slice, which is in perpetuity, right? Our fund three is just going to be our fund three. That's just a pool of capital. We invested in startups and, you know, we try to get a good return on them, but this would be like, it would have upside on our fund 14, you know, if it's a billion dollars, they still have 10%, right? Um, yeah. So it's 
totally different product, basically. So, so when is someone smart in the audience going to create a spreadsheet for me that just shows me what are the of the two approaches? Because one approach, like the LPs, get some sort of equity stake in the company. Yeah, it's just and, a totally different like. It's a different product. Neither is like better or worse. It's just this one is the one we're crowdfunding. And in part, it's because of the way the laws are written. We can't let we can't crowdfund money into the individual funds. It's just like a stupid aspect of the the laws. Um, they have to be in the company, which is the management company of Ernest. So this was like the only product we could offer through crowdfunding. We actually wanted to do it anyway. So it was a nice kind of like two birds, one stone situation. But they're not. Like basically being an LP, in my opinion, is lower, is like lower risk, lower return, right? The odds of you losing all your money are quite low investing in a fund because we're diversifying it across, you know, a couple dozen uh, startups. And so probably you're going to get some portion of your money back at a minimum, but also the odds of making 10x your money are very, very low. Whereas this is kind of like owning equity, right? It's my bet on earnest capital as the whole, the whole shebang. Which, Got it. you know, is higher risk, like, you know, it might, the whole thing might fail, right? <laughs> you know, or we might shut it down someday or something like that. But it does have more upside, like the possibility of getting 10x or 20x your money is a lot more, definitely not guaranteed by any means, but it's a lot more plausible through this product than, um, than, than as an LP. Um, it's complicated, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and especially, again, like, I'm just a dumb jackass here. And I'm, as soon as I see numbers, I start to sweat and part of my brain turns off. And so like for me to understand like, okay, so Tyler has carry, it's like 20% and yeah. then he's like giving me a piece of this. And, you know, for me to do all the, that even rough math and to quantify it in my head and go like, is this a good investment? It, mm -hmm. It's way easier actually on the emotional side to just say, well, I like Tyler and I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna just do this because, you know, I, I support what he's doing. Um, Tyler? I, I just wanna do a little bit of a non sequitur here, but I, we've we've used the terms accredited and unaccredited investors a lot. And I, I, you know, see a bunch of folks who are probably entrepreneurs here who either don't know what that is or often are under the misconception that they are not accredited because they think there's some sort of, uh, as the name would imply, accreditation uh, involved. Mm -hmm. um, but but actually, it's it's a very stupid rule, uh, basically set up by the SEC that says to do any of this kind of like private investing stuff, you know, investing in startups outside of crowdfunding platforms, you have to be accredited. Accredited basically just means rich. Um, usually, the <laughs> I mean, really, like it's just the the the. The basic tests are that you have a million dollars in net worth, uh, not excluding your primary residence, or you make like two hundred or maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for for the last two years, and that's like the ninety nine percent of people who verify as accredited. That's all they do. They just they you know there's certain things you can run them to. It's like we use like verifyinvestor.com. You literally like securely send them your tax return. You you made two hundred fifty one thousand dollars for two years in a row. You're good to go. Um, and you don't. There's no other like process by which you are thusly accredited. It's just like once you can prove that you are able to do investments that require you to be accredited. The one thing I want to point out is that your ownership in a company, and this is like add every single caveat you want. Like I'm not a tax professional or a lawyer. Like double check everything here. But um, your ownership in a company can count. 
So if you are, for example, a bootstrapper who owns, is a solo founder who owns a business that plausibly could be worth a million dollars, right? Based on reasonable metrics, you know, you're at 20K MRR and you're like, some people would pay, you know, $100,000 for 10% of this. It's worth a million dollars. That can actually be perfectly fine for being considered an accredited investor. Now, I don't encourage people to like really stretch the limits. You should only invest, you know, a, a reasonable proportion of your liquid, you know, investment assets into this kind of stuff. But I, I definitely meet people who like own businesses that are worth, you know, 10, 20 million dollars on paper, but they're paying themselves kind of crappy founder salaries. And they're like, oh, I'm not accredited. I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> um, Okay, I want to I want to just uh I mean I think we can go for a little bit longer, but one thing let's let's just play a little fantasy investing here. And thinking about the the a regular person. And I mean I think a lot of people know my story like but a lot of my life with four kids has just been paying bills, uh you know, <laughs> making it make making by, doing is that the way to say it? You know, just making it. And uh, maybe having a little bit of money on the side to invest. And that's probably mo most North Americans, to be honest. But, you know, the, the path to wealth creation seems to be to either start a company that succeeds and have a majority stake of that company, um, or invest in a company that succeeds and have some sort of stake in it. For a regular person, who is looking to create more wealth? What do you think are some of the approaches that they should like tangibly be pursuing? Of course, there's always going to be the risk, but if yeah, it, start a so company. You, so you think the first the first <laughs> step no is like starting a company is by far the best? It's very very hard to to get rich. Uh, you know, you said like it's the dominant modes are you know, start a company and own a big share of it or invest in a company that does really well. Like Coinbase is going public today. And, you know, I'm sure a bunch of people became, well, I'm not sure that a bunch of people became rich. I think a very, very small number of people were not rich and then be, will become rich off of their investment mm -hmm. in Coinbase. Probably most of them were already rich. But like, if you're not already wealthy, like by far, by a 50 to one ratio, like the way to get there is to start a company or you know, the sort of rich dad, poor dad, you know, kind of like methodology of just, you know, work really hard and, and save a whole bunch and allocate capital over time. You know, I mean, you don't have to start a company, but like angel investing, any of the stuff we're talking about, like you should not be thinking of it as like, this is how I'm going to go from not wealthy to wealthy. This is about like people who already have a decent portfolio looking for, you know, diversification, looking for, you know, some outsized returns, et cetera. But you know, I don't think anybody should be investing in anything like this because it's how they think they're going to get mm -hmm. wealthy. Um, and I don't another know. thing, the only other thing I have experience with is, um, I don't, I don't even know if companies do this anymore, but I've been an advisor for a few companies who have given me options that don't expire, and uh, my friend, I don't know if I can say his name, but. My friend did something similar early stage for Uber. He was an advisor and in exchange, they mm -hmm. gave him options. And I'm pretty sure that's why he has a couple Lamborghinis. Um, so yeah. it, so there are some things, 
there are some happen. things like yeah. that. Like if if you are a skilled engineer or marketer or whatever, sometimes you can become an advisor and get options, and that that seems to be uh, not a not a bad thing if you can get it. But sorry, go ahead, Josh. So to answer your question on how to build wealth, the way to build wealth is to create value. Mm -hmm. Generally, this means asking yourself, what are you most interested in that creates the most value? Yeah, the thought I have is, so I've sometimes had this feeling, sorry, this is going to be the socialist Canadian in me. All, all you Americans are going to get so mad at me. Um, is, you know, like in Canada, we have we have grants and and subsidies for tech companies and for oil companies and for forestry companies. These are uh, subsidies and grants and tax credits that the government gives to companies. And I've often wondered, why don't we just as the public demand that that converts to equity? Why are we giving corporations free money when uh, the other way of giving corporations money is to become an investor? And I've often had this feeling of like ownership really should be shared amongst more people. Like if more people have ownership, especially as we get into, you know, tech companies like like maybe finances might maybe maybe turns into this big AI machine that just runs on itself and, you know, takes over the world. If that's true, I would like to have I would like to own a piece of that robot um, as a citizen of the world. And I think, you know, it makes sense for other people to want that as well. And so part of crowdfunding is really attractive to me if it gives, if it's a path to giving regular folks the ability to have equity, even if that, you know, governments invest in companies all the time that don't work out. But um, the, the, the socialist in me <laughs> Is is feeling like this is a way of, and even uh, Andrew Yang, that's that's his name, right? Andrew, yeah, Andrew Yang had this idea of a freedom dividend, which is like, yeah, if we own pieces of companies as a public and they issue dividends, that's just a great way moving forward in this new economy where so much of the the gains are financial on paper. Um, that's just a great way to kind of spread that wealth around. If we've got robots and AI and software that are doing all this work for us, how can we enable more people to benefit from that? And so I'm interested in that piece of it. Do you think that's a pipe dream? Do you think that's just not the way it's going to work? Uh, should I go back to my socialist hole and not speak of this ever again? To me, crowdfunding is a step in the right direction. It will empower more people to experiment with investing and owning equity in startups. Yeah, and I, I, the other challenge with all the rules being changed is that you have uh, millions or billions of just regular citizens who are now trying to figure out this new landscape. And, you know, they're investing in crypto, they're investing in NFTs, they're making bets on GameStop, they are uh, starting companies. Um, and I know that there's a lot of these things that um, some of these options are better than others. Like we, we all have a general sense that if you start a services company or you start a local restaurant, um, 
the the chance of that turning into any sort of meaningful like your equity there is just not as valuable um generalized of course as starting a software company that has tons of leverage and you can replicate the bits for free forever and you can reach way more people um so you know if someone was going to come to me like my daughter's 18 so this is pretty <laughs> this is pretty poignant right now you know i'm thinking for her like what what advice would i give her she can become a teacher like josh said and just add value to society that way but she's never going to have any chance of more wealth outside of her paycheck she could start a services company she could become a freelancer but that's not much better than being an employee but there are certain decisions like you can just turn yourself 20 degrees uh, like I did, uh, whereas like I, at one stage of my life, I own a snowboard shop that's not worth anything. <laughs> and then I just gradually turned my boat into software and, um, you know, it, it really changed my life. And so I, I think I have a lot of kind of meta thoughts about, you know, crowdfunding and all of these options and my question is always like, is this a legitimate way of turning your boat and maybe getting a piece of some future action? Or is this just like, we're just emotionally investing in causes and founders that make us feel good? The, the other thing I wasn't quite concerned, I, I wasn't quite clear about is like with Sahil, and maybe we need to have him, <laughs> but what's he using the money for? Like, is he able to just take that money off the table and just put it in his bank account? No. Yeah, it has to stay in the company. Uh, so it's just for growth and like a normal equity round. But I, I think I want to amplify a little bit something that Josh said earlier that was, I think, really good analogy, which is the, uh, the comparison to fractional stock trading and stuff like that, which is, you know, there is an element of like low stakes learning here that I think is really valuable in the sense that sometimes you just need to put a hundred dollars into Robinhood to learn that a single stock can go down by 50% in a week, you know, and you're like, Oh, okay, right. I learned that lesson. It only cost me 50 bucks instead of, you know, $5,000 because, you know, I waited till later and I bought, you know, $10,000 worth of, of whatever you know, single stock. Um, I think there's an element of that as well. I think, I think a lot of people are going to, you know, put a hundred dollars to work in a, a CF company and realize that the company can continue doing really well. And there's a lot of illiquidity, right? You know, it might be 10 years before you see a return. It'd be nice for a lot of people to sort of be able to learn that, you know, for, for relatively low stakes. Um, at the same time, you know, you are seeing, I think, a, a full mix of folks, you know, <laughs> there's a kind of a challenge where it's, I think it's very hard to to really build wealth because if you don't have the experience, you probably shouldn't be risking that much capital, right? You know what I mean? If you've never done this kind of thing, you shouldn't be putting your life savings into it. But if you're only putting a few hundred dollars into it, well, even if you crush it and it's a nice 10x return, that hasn't really changed your life, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, although on, so that topic, it, it, on, on that topic, it's topic, Right now, you know, regular people are investing... Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases on college education in the hopes that it's going to translate sure. into wealth. And so sometimes I, I get like kind of pissed about it. There's often this feeling of like, and you definitely get this with accredited investors. It's like, well, we're up here 
and we have the wealth and but you folks down there uh you know you can't make these kinds of bets even though they make those bets all the time they buy a hundred thousand dollar truck because they think it's gonna help them run a plumbing business um and unaccredited investors can gamble their life savings yeah, at a casino yeah. too. And so, so. <laughs> I, I, to me, like one reason I'm so loud sometimes, and I know people sometimes don't like it, but I just feel like, you know, I grew up in a small little farm town and the richest people were real estate agents and lawyers and farmers. And I never knew there was anything else. And it, when I found software, when I started working for a software company in 2008, and then read uh, Getting Real, everything started clicking my head like, whoa, this is way different than the snowboard business. <laughs> like the margins here are insane. And, um, and that translates even to people buying stocks. And, you know, like I had people in my office buy Apple stock right before the iPhone came out and they also <laughs> did really well. And so... Sometimes I'm just interested in what can we do to help people move their, their you know, the, the direction of their ship. And, um, you know, instead of investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in a college education, maybe they should be risking, if they're already going to risk the money, maybe they should be risking it in other things. I, I realize there's downsides to it, well but... Yeah, go ahead, Josh. I think the key is not so much optimizing the investment vehicles, and it's more for optimizing for learning and experiences. The quickest way for someone to decide if they want to work for a grocery store is to actually go and work there. Likewise, the quickest way to learn about investing is to actually invest in some companies. Let me just say one thing, which is just extends that a little bit, which is, um, you know, to the the closing point I was going to make about how it's it's hard to... At any one moment, it's hard to make investments that are going to make you wealthy, right? Because you just shouldn't be risking enough money that if it works out well, you know, you're going to become rich. Um, the 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 caveat to that is that this kind of thing, both the learnings and the money compounds mm -hmm. over time, right? So if you're able to start, you know, taking $1,000 and making 10 bets into startups in XCF, and then you learn a bunch and you either all of them fail or one of them returns some money, but you've learned a ton. And also in the interim, you you know are doing whatever, you're starting a company, you're working a job, you're doing stuff to build your, your capital base. But now when you can feel more comfortable investing $10,000, you're also gonna be much better at it than if you were just starting yeah, from zero yeah. at that point. Le so I think it's like one of the most compelling reasons to, to sort of dip your toe in at low stakes yeah. here is that later you'll want those learnings when you actually have the, the money to deploy the, the problem um, here though is that your your feedback loop with crowdfunding is very long because with, with stocks yeah. like if we're talking about learning you know a bunch of people have invested in stocks since the pandemic and they're learning they're they can look at those returns every day it's up it's down uh over over a month yeah but you're not really learning from that i mean the the, the long-term feedback loop is even more of a reason to get started sooner right uh, or not do it at all right which of course you don't you know nobody has to invest in illiquid you know private assets but if you want to do it the long feedback loop but, is but, more of a reason to get rolling is, sooner what good is the feedback like if the feedback loop with gumroad is 10 years so somebody put a thousand dollars in and then in 10 years, you know, 
Sahil is old and he's like, okay, I'm selling this thing. Uh, that doesn't seem like a good opportunity for learning. It, that, that's too long of a cycle. And it, it feels like that's going to be the, that's going to be the norm. I disagree. I disagree. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I had barely any investable capital to do anything. And, and had I been able to, you know, place a few bets for hundreds of dollars, yeah, maybe there was a 10 year feedback loop, but I didn't really have serious money to deploy into anything that could, you know, affect my life until I was in my 30s, you know, so the 10 year feedback loop would have sure, been Sure, but extending know, that out a bit. Or yeah. like buying houses, yeah. like like real estate, for instance, like that's a very long feedback loop and you may find you don't like that's the learning. Yeah, but the yeah, difference with some of these things, like with yeah, stocks like, and real estate is there's just a lot more transparency into the market that, and I, I'm, I mean, part of me agrees with you. Like, why not just place a bunch of bets in crowdfunding right now? Like, but the, 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 the big risk here, it seems is like nobody really has had any sort of return on a portfolio like that. We, we have zero, we have zero learnings. There's, there, there's, there's it, nobody it else. If, if you can extrapolate from like now, like if you're, you know, if you look at it, for example, like the, again, we've been talking about it a bunch just cause it's the most salient one, but like the Gumroad investment, you know, you have folks in there that have a successful track record of making, you know, good investments. Right. And, and so you can sort of say, okay, well, you, you weren't able to participate as a small stakes investor beforehand at all. So there, yeah, there's no track record of, of small stakes investors making money off of this, but you know, people do make money off these kinds of investments. Um, you know, it's, it's not to say there's no evidence that this ever works just because it's now open to, to unaccredited investors. Yeah, I'm just investors. saying like um, the, the idea of um, you could invest $10,000 or $5,000 or $1,000, distribute it through a bunch of these crowdfunding safes. And the there is, there, there really isn't a lot of track record or blog posts, or people going, okay, you know, ten years ago, I bought, <laughs> I bought all these, and here's what happened. We don't have mm -hmm. that yet, and um, that. Whereas with stocks and real estate, and uh, you know, even just good old fashioned stock in a C corp, um, we have lots of evidence of that, right? Like you, you at least know, um, you have a le a better idea of what to expect. And, um, yes, but, I agree. But there I agree. has to be a starting. And maybe, and maybe it is great. Uh, but so, even like I tried to read the Gumroad terms, and it's not even clear, like if they, if they have to convert safe, uh, their safe stuff to shares when they raise their next round. Like there's, it just seems like lots of ambig ambiguity, um, where in terms of like what is the actual liquidity event, and you know, <laughs> this is this is just from watching uh, the Facebook movie. What was that? You know, you 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 hear about people getting diluted, yeah. and again, I'm a dummy. I don't know how that happens. Like, how do people get diluted into nothing? I don't know, but it just feels like these are all things that are possible. And I'm I'm like, how does that work? Like, yes, but that's the entire point mm -hmm. with crowdfunding. You can put in one hundred dollars and learn a lot about what it's like to invest in startups. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to. I want to push back on this. So yeah. that five million. That five million that uh, Sawhill just raised. 
how come he can't take any of that off the table? Like, can he increase his salary? Can he, what, what are the mechanisms in place that says he can't do that? I don't know specifically to be, to, okay. to be totally frank. Uh, I haven't like read the documentation there. I would say it's just, it's pretty on the, on the one hand, the reg CF investors get to sort of free ride a little bit off of, you know, the two things to look for is a reputable platform. And then also like lead investors can add a lot of security here where, you know, if Naval, right. Who has done, you know, tens of thousands of these investments, it, it looks it over and says, yeah, this is a standard approach. You know, I'm, I'm investing and also saying this is the normal course of business mm -hmm. and there's nothing fishy here. Um, that's, you know, you can sort of free ride a little bit off of the diligence work of the lead investors or the largest investors. Um, and then you can also free ride a little bit off of the, um, the platform itself, which, you know, basically these platforms are essentially like a, a regulatory shield between, you know, you and the SEC uh, as the company that's that's raising. Essentially, like they are this umbrella and they say, stay within this box, do these rules, et cetera, et cetera. And the SEC will not like drop the hammer on you for raising money from unaccredited investors. And so they have a pretty strong vested interest for their, you know, continued existence and, you know, not getting themselves shut down by the SEC to make sure that these things are not scams that, you know, by and large, it, it, you know, replicates the market. I'm not saying they will do it perfectly, but those are your layers of protection against, you know, something just egregious, right? Where, you know, it turns out you're not even investing in the company and you're just putting it straight into the founder's, you know, Bitcoin wallet and they can <laughs> walk off into the sunset. Like those are your two main mm -hmm. layers of protection. I mean, people should do their own diligence, but it's almost not worth it. If you're just going to invest hundreds of dollars, you're probably better off just you know, relying on the legal fees of the platforms and the lead yeah. investors. Um, What's uh, actually for both of you, because you're both doing this, what is in place that would stop you guys from raising your salary to $1 million a year and operating at a loss? Uh, you can definitely be sued under like fiduciary obligations. Like if you do something totally like raising yeah. your salary a bunch is in one category and then like literally just running away with the money is a separate one. And that the second category like is crossing a line where you'll just get sued, you know, and it's it's against the law. But I mean, to your point, Justin, I, I think oftentimes there's not much that would prevent someone from sort of taking advantage of the situation. But that's not unique to um you know, to crowdfunding, right? I mean, when we make investments, you know, we're making multiple investments every month and every single one of those carries some small percentage risk that the founder, you know, basically just takes the money and ups their salary massively and doesn't hire anybody and then shuts the company down, mm -hmm. right? That's something that, you know, you just have to bake into the risk that, you know, even when you buy a stock, there's a, a risk of the company's a total fraud. And, and there's like short short selling hedge funds that go and try to uncover those frauds and make their stocks go to zero. Like there's some edge case risk, but, you know, I don't think there's, there's just not a lot of examples of folks, you know, crowdfunding or otherwise, just literally kind of running away with the yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so let's close with this maybe, uh, which is to say, which is to ask, is there ways that, well, let me just personalize this. So the biggest risk for me right now with Transistor is that it's got good cash flow 
we're, we're doing well. But the biggest risk is that that stops happening in two years or a year or three years, whatever. Is there ways that founders like me should be thinking of diversifying, taking money off the table? Um, you know, I, I keep waiting for that magical 37 Signals Bezos investment where he, he just gives me the cash. I get to put it in my bank account. I buy a Lamborghini the next day. Like that's, that, that, I, it seems like that's only happened once and that happened to, to Jason and David. But is there, are there ways that people can, founders can do that? Because it sounds like you're saying crowdfunding wouldn't be the way to do that. There are multiple ways for a founder to take money off the table. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's about what you want to do with your company. What's interesting to you? Do you want to scale it and make it way bigger? Do you want a bigger team? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love running the company right now, but I realize that could change in two, three years. Um, but there's also just the existential risk. Like there's a risk that, that, again, something could happen. You know, sometimes companies are doing well. And then sometimes markets change. And, you know, the, the, the great advantage for 37 Signals is a year in, they had someone come in and basically de-risk their future. They, they, <laughs> Bezos said, whatever, here's 10 mil, I'm guessing. Here's 10 mil, seven for Jason and three for David or eight for eight and two, who, who knows what it was. But, you know, having... Uh, a couple million, three million in your bank account, your personal bank account even, uh, I mean, that, that, that really set them up to run that company for a long time. Um, and it, yeah, I think that's the, I would hate to sell this company. I like, I really like it right now, but in my most fearful times, uh, what drives me is going, ugh, but I, I don't want to be 45 and looking back, uh, going, oh, why didn't I just sell, <laughs> you know, and you, there's no way of knowing. And so I'm wondering if there's a halfway point. Can I, are there things founders can do? Yeah. The, the other thing is, I mean, you want to key on the term secondary, right? So what you're, what you're looking for is a secondary sale, which is just like the term for when outside investors come and put, you know, buy a stake in the company, but the founder is taking the money off the, off the table. There's like a pretty good discussion slash, you know, omnipresent discussion on Twitter and blog posts and podcasts when uh, I think one password, when they raised like, I don't know, like a hundred million dollars from a venture firm, everybody was mm -hmm. like, Oh God, this amazing bootstrap company is selling out, you know, they're going to blow up, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the founders were like, no, 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 look, it's a secondary. Like most of that money just went, you know, right into our personal bank account. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's a product. It exists. It's far less common than, you know, I'm investing to keep this money in the business and, and grow it, but it does happen. Uh, I think crowdfunding platforms are probably not a great fit for it. I, they, it, I guess I've, I don't think I've ever seen it. I'm not a, actually like a sort of connoisseur of all the crowdfunding deals that have happened. So, so maybe it has happened uh, or maybe it's illegal. Like maybe it's structurally not allowed under the crowdfunding rules. I don't know, but I don't think it would be a great fit for crowdfunding, um, but it's possible, you know, if it's allowed, um, there's no inherent reason why a group of investors would have a very strong opinion on this. It's just most of the time, professional investors are looking for the opportunity to put money in so the company grows, mm -hmm. um, but private investors can do whatever they want. So it's 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 not out of the realm of possibility, but it's probably not like 
on the nose the best thing to do it um and like i mean there's an opportunity to like talk my book but i mean we um we just launched a sort of experiment called um earnest capital express that's like literally for exactly this mm-hmm. the idea being like a really quick way to you know take 5 10 15% of the company off the table um to private investors with the baked in assumption that it's going to be a secondary and they're taking money off the table mm-hmm. um still like very much an experiment but we did launch it we do have a bunch of good conversations with folks going on right now about doing exactly this kind of deal um as a private deal nothing to do with with crowdfunding yeah or... yeah i mean i think i still have some questions around that because it 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 feels like i wonder if there is crowdfunding could be a very attractive option for people to take money off the table especially again i keep i keep uh i, I keep uh using gumroad and I, I actually have nothing against them or whatever but it just feels like a charismatic founder like that who has a big following uh can go out and raise money emotionally from people people that just want to support him or support the mission or whatever and i'm just wondering if there is anything structural because uh, my immediate thought was like, why is he raising the money? Uh, like, does he, if he's already making a million dollars in profits every year, uh, why not just hire some more people? Like, is it just still him? And now he's going to hire two more people? Well, Gumroad is in a really big competitive market. I mean, they they like technically compete with Substack, who just raised sixty five million and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. mean, I think there's a compelling case that this is not just it was based around you know capital to fuel the next phase of growth of the business, build features, compete, et cetera. Yeah. Um, y- yeah. yeah. But, but look, I mean, I, there is, I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if anybody here is a, a lawyer or relevant actor uh, at a um, crowdfunding platform that can just tell us the answer here. But I don't know if there's a structural reason why you can't do a secondary uh, via crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think, you know, you're right. The more charismatic or the way I usually put it is like the trust battery analogy from Toby from Shopify. The more trust you've built up over a very long period of time with a very large audience, the more likely you could, you know, get something like that done, which would be a little bit non-standard. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not impossible. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. I think, I think you folks have done a good job of, of letting a little bit of air out of my cynical balloon. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is always good. Um, yeah, folks, uh, this was a great discussion. If you want to uh, maybe just reply to the tweet thread if, if you folks have more questions. It feels like actually people have been tweeting questions to both Josh and you, Tyler. Um, so uh, I don't know if you guys want to answer those later. Um, but yeah, and go check out what Josh is doing with Maybe Finance and go check out this new Ernest thing. Um, it's on both of their Twitter profiles if you go take a look. And uh, I actually do feel a lot better. Like it feels like the one thing I was worried about is um, just not understanding how legitimate these these crowdfunding vehicles could be. I think there's still some questions around it, like, you know, that we need to dig a bit more into. But um, maybe the advantage is like for you, Tyler, if, if people trust you and trust that, okay, we're going to, you know, I... Tyler's sharing a piece of his carry and that's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of these deals are going to be done on trust. It feels like, uh, kind of to your point, <laughs> how much trust has somebody built up? Uh, trust battery is one thing, but there's, there is also the, uh, 
the charismatic uh, quasi-religious uh, influence of folks like Musk, uh, who are who are who are having huge impacts on markets, crypto and stocks and everything, and it has less to do with trust and more to do with. Uh, it's very religious. It's almost like you know people just whatever he says, people will go and do, and uh, that there is some danger around that for sure, uh, and it'll have kind of ramifications around crowdfunding and uh, I guess the whole world of finance will be uh, influenced by that. I don't know if there's a way to protect against that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Good good questions and wise words here. <laughs> uh, this was a good chat. 